Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. I am introducing Pastor Sue to all of you guys. Uh, Pastor Sue, we've known Pastor Sue for more than like 10 years, probably like 11 years. You know, when, when if you've heard all the story, you know, we moved from New Mexico to plan this church and um, Pastor Sue was part of the staff when we were part of the staff in Half of the World Church. And it, we just, we're just friends forever, you know. And she, she's been such a great uh, wisdom, to, um, like a wisdom voice to Hunter and I. She has been, her and her husband Russ, been one of our major supporters when we first planted the church and we had no clue what we were going to face. She was right there behind us, cheering for us all the time, you know, sharing her heart and her support, which has meant a lot to us. And so uh, we are so honored to have her here. She's like super prophetic. She's super funny. And also, not only is she like this powerful woman of God, she's also the director of Hope Centers. Her and her husband direct Hope Centers and they feed children around the world. And I have not, like, Sue is one of the most compassionate and generous person I know. She's like, her heart is to feed children. And she'll do whatever. I know like, she's unstoppable when it comes to feeding children. And, and I've seen God just be so generous to her too. And she has been so generous to us, to our church, you know, and so um, I just want you guys to give her a southern welcome, and by the way, you know, we gave her a southern name, and her southern name is Sugar Boo, so welcome Sugar Boo, and receive from her. Wow, I need to come back, so where's, oh, Caleb is my time guy. I love you guys. I, I don't know what to say. I love this church. God's going to do something. I'm, I'm, something's going on. This is a big transition. In fact, when Hunter was talking about tithes, I felt like the Lord said, this church will be known and look like their father who is generous. So God is generous and your church is generous. You're going to look like your daddy. So I like that. Um, so I'm Sue Sugarboo. <laughs> We decided my husband's southern name's going to be King, King Daddy. And if you've met my husband, he's a businessman through and through, and <laughs> King Daddy isn't quite what, what he might be known by. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, I got really emotional in worship because I'm, I'm looking at baby Taya here and babies and babies, and I knew these guys before they were guys. And I'm, it was very touching to me to see the next generation happening. So I'm going to, I have a, I thought I had a great message. Like I had been preparing this message for months. And then last week God says, no, that's not what I want you to share. And I, I don't, I don't like it when God changes my mind, you know, and actually this one's simpler and shorter, but I really liked the message I was preparing. Apparently he didn't. So... Anyway, <laughs> we changed. But just to give you a little bit of a, a snapshot of my life, um, the, ladies, the ladies heard this before. In my family, I'm the microwave and my husband is a crock pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he thinks on things and I'm ding, I'm ready. 
And so a, a week in my house would go like this, and this actually happened. Um, we live on a farm, but before we had moved back to our farm, I told Russ on a Sunday night, we need to move. This house isn't working. And he's like, really? Like, it's a great house. And I said, yeah, we need to move. So I'm going to set up appointment to look at houses. I don't know what you call it. Uh, we're going to go look at houses next weekend. He goes like, well, okay, well, I think we need to pray on this and think on it. So the week goes by, Friday, Russ goes, sugar, or what is his name? King, King Daddy, King Daddy <laughs> says, so are we, are we going to go look at houses tomorrow? And I said, why would we do that? And he goes, I thought you set up appointments and that you didn't think this house was working for us anymore. I said, oh, you remember that chair I bought with the footstool right over there in the corner? He goes, yeah. And I go, it, it's perfect now. It works. We're not moving. <laughs> so, that's what it's like to be in my house. On a, <laughs> and you know this to be true. So today, I'm going to talk to you about hidden heroes. And I tried to come up with really a great name for it and something real catchy because, you know, this other sermon I had prepared had some really good stuff in it and that was going to make me seem smarter than I am. But um, anyway, it's hidden heroes. (gasps) Jackie, you're amazing. (laughs) There it is. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. Anyway, so we're going to be hidden heroes or unsung heroes, okay? It means nobody takes notice or, or it hasn't been noticed. Or what if it's unsung? You know, one of the thoughts that came to my mind was what if there were compositions or songs that were written but just hadn't been sung yet? And so I'm going to, I may have shared this story with you before. Uh, if I did, I'm sorry, but I'm going to share it again. There's a lady in China, and her name is Shoumain. <laughs> I always want to say Chowmain, but it's not. It's Shoumain, and this is true. And at age 13, she had to drop out of school because in Asia, that's what you do. You drop out of school, especially girls, if they even make it that far. And God began to give her songs. And so... Um, She's written over a a thousand hymns, and they call it the canon. In China, we know of 200 million believers, and they all sing her songs. Do you know that she is the most sung worship leader in the world? And we don't know a thing about her. She's never written a music score. She's not had a record deal, but she is the number one worship leader in the world. She's a hidden hero. So, and speaking of Asia, we're going to have an interest meeting, I almost forgot, um, right after church, because we are going to do a trip to the Philippines, and you want to go to the Philippines with me. It's a great trip. So, uh, I guess right after the service, is that correct? We'll just meet somewhere. So, so anyway, unsung hero, unsung, don't even know her name. So there's 7.7 billion people on this planet, and I think mostly unsung heroes, you know, like us, unsung heroes. And I don't know all 7.7 million, billion. Um, I know maybe some dozens, maybe hundreds. 
But I think a lot of people get bit parts, and I don't mean that with any disrespect. I'm saying we get parts in this story. And we're going to look at a couple people today that were bit players, so please understand when I say that I'm, I'm talking to me. I consider myself a bit player in all of this. And these would be people like, who found baby Moses? You know, who held the rope for Paul when he escaped from Damascus? Who found the donkey or brought the donkey when Jesus needed a, a donkey to ride in on? We don't know their names, but yet they played a part in this amazing story. They're bit players, right? And so we're going to, uh, all these players, sorry, I know men come up here and they have their outlines. I have to write everything out, so... That's just how it works for me. So there's, there, we have all these bit players, and they go back centuries, and they touch our lives today because they were a part in what God was doing. And so it worked because they were there, and we're here, and we're hearing about them today. You know, there's iconic people like an Abraham Lincoln, a Marie Curie, a Mandela, and we know about them. And they did amazing, wonderful things. William Wilberforce, you know, they are iconic. But they were iconic because somewhere back there they did one small thing that changed the course of human history. And I happen to believe that you and I can change the course of human history. I will feed kids. And in those kids, I expect there to be presidents and doctors and lawyers and godly parents, people who take their families out of poverty because they're educated, not only do we feed, but we educate. I expect the world to change because we're feeding one kid. I absolutely believe that. So if you can't, what is it uh, Mother Teresa would say? If you can't feed all the kids, feed one. Yes. Right? Let's do that. So there was a painter, a Dutch painter. I'm going to try to say his name. Rein Porvilt, and he painted sketches of the 5,000 and he wrote a book, Jesus Was One of Us. And, um, you know, so we're going to talk about this boy who fed, fed uh, the 5,000. Actually, it was more like 10,000. You see, they only counted the men. So there were women and children. And so um, uh, we're going to hear that word agrarian again. You know, Israel was, it's a small country. It's agrarian. It's rural. So how many villages had to empty do you think for five to 10,000 people to be at a meeting? I mean, I, see, I, when I read stories, I have to like, I like have to screenplay them. So we're using for our text, um, John, sixth chapter. I'm not gonna read it to you because it's too long, but we're going verses one through 15. But so, you know, it's the story of the little boy. So we're gonna kind of develop the story. I want you to understand I am not uh, adding to the scripture, but I'm going to give this little boy a name and we're going to paint the picture of that day. So you got it? I'm not adding to scripture. I'm not going to die. <laughs> You're not going to die. So here's this little boy and I decided I wanted to make him around 10 because I think 10 year olds are curious. You know, they run fast, they move fast and he comes running in and he tells his mom, guess what? Jesus is going to be here today. Me and a couple buddies, we're going to go see him. And the mom goes, well, okay, let me make you lunch. Because she was a good mom. So she wraps up five loaves of 
and it says barley, and that meant they were poor because barley was what poor people ate. Rich people ate wheat. So she put five barley loaves and she ate two fish, put some fish in there and wrapped it up in a rag. She goes, well, if you're going to go for all day, you should take this. And the truth is, I, I figured Eli probably didn't live close to the sea. Maybe he was a few miles from the sea. So that fish probably was more like jerky, right? It wasn't like fresh fish. So he runs off with his buddies and he's going to see Jesus. So here's this kid, and in verse 7, it says, Philip, you know, and I love this. This is what God does. He goes, Philip, how do you think we're going to feed all these people? Do we have enough money? Philip's like, we don't have enough money. I don't know how we're going to feed all these people. You know, so, so you know, God always, thank you, God always um, tests us, right? He's always asking us, hey, Sue, how are you going to feed all those kids? I don't know. I just know I'm going to do it. You know, so he goes, you know, he gets there and all of a sudden Philip or Andrew, I'm sorry, grabs this little boy, Eli, takes him to Jesus and says, look, he has a lunch. Now, are you telling me in 10,000 people, nobody else had a lunch but this little boy? Yeah, I mean, you know, God, he's good. Because I know there were women there. They had food for their kids. <laughs> I know better. So, but somehow Andrew saw this little boy. Right? Takes him right up to Jesus and he goes, look, here's a lunch. Jesus goes, oh, okay, tell everybody to sit down. Sit down. He prayed for it and he began to break bread. I don't know how long it takes to break fish and cakes for 10,000 people, but, you know, it could have been a big deal. Could have taken a while. And they passed it out. And then, I love this, when they're done, he says, pick it up. Pick up what's left. God is a good steward. Pick up what's left, guys. Don't leave it behind. So God is teaching all kinds of little lessons here for them. So, so we still have this boy, right? And he, he takes his lunch, and Jesus does his thing, and he's not making something out of nothing, which he could have done, right? Because he's God. But he's making something more out of something that is offered. So you're walking up to him and you go, this is all I got. God goes, that's enough. This is all I can tithe. That's enough. I'll make it work. Yeah. So today God is asking you, what are you going to bring? I can make something. You know, we sit around. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. And I want God to make something out of nothing. And he's saying, Sue, what do you got to offer me? Bring it. Bring it. And so he, he feeds all these people. He picks up what's left. And, you know, I can only imagine if it were me and it was my lunch, I'd be saying, whoa, dude, did you see what he did? I mean, I, my eyes would be this big. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, did you just see what he did? And so Eli goes home. He runs in the door and he goes, Mom, you're never going to believe this. You know that lunch you packed me? It was more than enough. She goes, what do you mean? It was more. It was more than enough. That lunch you packed me, Jesus took it and he fed everybody. Mom, that lunch you made. And so, you know, and then I picture him going on in his life and he has his own kids and he's telling the story. Man, I was there when the 10,000 got fed and I was the one who took the lunch. And then he's got grandkids. 
sitting on his lap and they're going, Grandpa, Poppy, tell me that story again. Tell me that story again. And you know what? This guy could get past it, but he would never forget it. And I was, uh, I was in the Philippines, and when, at the end of my Philippine trip, I, I was going to go to Japan and do a ladies' conference. So I had some of the Japanese pastors with me, and they flew ahead of me a couple days, and I met them. And during their time together, we were talking about Japan has the best strawberries in the world because they grow them in water. What's, that's the word. So I said, well, all right, I, I want to know. I, you, I want some strawberries. So when I landed, they met me with a basket of the most beautiful strawberries in the world. Truly, probably the best. And so we landed. We went to the church. It was cold. It wasn't very cloudy, but it was very cold. I taught. And at the end, I said, ladies, I'm going to ask Jesus to make it snow for me tonight because I'm from Texas, and I don't get to see snow very often. And then I went home. And in Japan, at where I was staying, we, um, we were on the floor in a futon. So I'll never forget this. It was 2.03. I woke up, opened the curtains, and it was snowing. I got my strawberries. I sat on the floor, and I ate strawberries, and I watched it snow. Now, I can get past that, but I will never forget that because that was something God did for me. So I go to the conference the next morning. This lady runs up to the stage. I'm thinking, I, I don't know what I did, but okay. <laughs> she goes, I want to know your Jesus. And I thought, wow, you know, it's one thing to fish, but when they jump in the boat, it's even better, <laughs> right? Like, come on. <laughs> and she said, if your Jesus would make it snow for you, I want to know that Jesus. All right? Unsung hero, didn't know my name, but God did gave me a bit part, and, and that's the result of that. So anyway, we have this little boy, Eli, right? Okay. So we're going to go on, and we're going to do one more quick story about a bit player, and I love this one. We're Sorry, we're, we're going through this quick. Um, and this is the story from Mark 12, and you know this story. It's Mark 12, 41. And Jesus was no longer in the countryside, but he was in Jerusalem, and this was the week before his crucifixion, and he was in the temple, and um, it w this was, they were taking up offerings, and the place where they took up offerings in the temple was the woman's side, which I find interesting, and they had these big, huge uh, trumpets where the people would throw their offerings in, and so Jesus was sitting there with his guys, and... Uh, you know, people were throwing in their offerings, and here comes a little widow. She throws in two mites. Okay, this is less than a penny, what she put in. That's what it was that she put in. Jesus called his disciples together, and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given a larger offering than any of the rich have put in. So we're going to look at this a little bit, because here is another teaching. You know, I love it because everywhere Jesus takes us, we're teaching. He's teaching us something, 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 something. I was, Liz was telling me the other day they're talking, they're teaching history uh, to her kids, and she's so excited about it. And she's, she's so she's telling uh, Ollie the motto I think of New York it was, and then she turns it right into a God moment. 
and says, if you do this, this, and this, Ollie, God will have favor on you. And it was from a, a motto of New York. That's how life is. We're, we are always in a teaching moment with the Lord. So, you know, by world standards, um, I'm, we're not wealthy people <laughs> by American standards, but by world standards, we are. Uh, you know, in this room, we're probably in the top 10% by world standards of wealthy people. And so this woman gave out of her poverty. We're used to giving just what Hunter said, and we can still go on. This woman gave, and she had nothing. So I made her into a story, and I, I'm going to call her um, Rhoda. That's a good South name, isn't it? Southern name. So we're going to say Rhoda, you know, she gets married. And in those days, you, you, didn't, you didn't necessarily marry, uh, you know, if you're 20, you didn't marry a 20-year-old. You maybe married a 40-year-old because that's just how the culture was. So I'm going to say they had an olive grove on the side of a hill, and it was great, and things went well. Her husband, John, passed away after 22 years of marriage, I think. And <laughs> I like, I'm always doing this, right? And so... And she, would, she was thinking, well, we love Passover because it was Passover time. John and I love Passover. We always came to the temple. We always gave. I'm a widow now. Things are different. What I can give is smaller. And she went and she put what she could give. And it put her in a place of totally trusting Jesus. She had nothing else to fall back on. She was a widow. She was the least of the least in that culture. Last week at church, we have a lady in our church who's been in rehab for over a year and a half. Financially, it's wiped them out, her illness. And she gets to come to church once a month because a van can pick her up and bring her. She called me over and she goes, I have something for you. I said, okay. So she opened her purse. She took out a wad of cash. She put it in my hand. She goes, this is all I have. I've got nothing else. But I don't need money. I need to be well. And I was so humbled by that. And it so reminded me of this story because she had nothing to fall back on. If Jesus doesn't show up for them, it doesn't work. She gave me the widow's might. And it's going to go to kids in a big way. So what this woman did, I believe, was she gave her whole life. It's not about what we give. It's about what's left. It's just what Hunter was saying. When you're done giving, what do you have left? Did you give it all? And I'm, I'm not talking about tithing. I'm talking about towards our hearts with God. All right? The coin, these, this woman gave her coins, but what was left when she gave? And so then, if you look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it's called the heroes chapter, actually. Hidden heroes. Only these guys weren't hidden heroes. They're talking about the Noahs and all the people. And then all of a sudden it ends like this. And I love it. It says, you get to the last part and it reads like this. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains, imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, persecuted, mistreated. And then there comes this phrase. And the world was not worthy of them. That's what it says. Not just unsung or unnamed. These people had no names. And yet they did what they did for the Lord because they loved him so deeply. The boy gave his lunch. She gave her coins. It's more than laying down our lives. So 
you know what? There's something about people who touch people, who serve, who don't need a parade, who don't need their names and lights. There's something about that that is profound. And you're, I love flying under the radar. I get to do more stuff unnoticed than if your name was in lights. I love being an unsung hero in that regard. I mean, I go in and I do stuff, and, and you go out, and really, I, you know, I always consider myself like a, a, what, a spy. <laughs> like, I'm always on adventures. I'm always doing covert operations. And <laughs> I, I would have loved to have been a spy had I not been a wife and a mom. <laughs> I Truly, I would have. But, but I love that they were not worthy of this world. I want that said about me in the end. I want to have served in such a way that people know it's all about him. And so we're going to wrap this up here. Um, sorry, I kind of jumped around a little bit. Is that all right? Because I do have some words for you. We're going to, God's, God's doing some healing here. You know, when we become bit players, heaven cheers us. I want to be cheered by heaven. I want the angels going, man, did you see what Sue did? Not man, did you see what Sue did? But, <laughs> which is what they're usually saying. In fact, I have this theory. I'll tell you my theory. Is that, you know, angels, like, we have angels. I don't know if you believe that, but we really do. And they get respite. They're like, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go in the video room, and I'm going to just relax and watch a movie. And, and so they go to the DVD wall and goes, God, pull out, Su pull out Suze and watch this because you're never going to believe this, what happened. <laughs> you guys all have guardian angels, and your guardian angels all need a rest and a break from you as well. <laughs> but I believe that God, in his great mercy, gathers together and he says, you know what, why don't we do this? Why don't we roll this out, guys, and it's going to touch the generations to come? Your kids, you know, these guys didn't have kids. They weren't even married when I met them. No kids, no kids. In fact, I remember this one walking into church with a blanket, you know. And <laughs> no kids. But what they're doing now is going down the generations, Right? And God is saying, let's roll this out and do it this way. So we're leaving this legacy. And so I think just because a composition is unsung, it doesn't mean it's not profound. You are profound because you have Jesus. Now, if you don't have Jesus, I'm sorry to tell you that you need to get him. <laughs> if you want to be profound. So God wants us to be in places to be available, to be bit players. I, I'm just thinking, man, if I could have held the rope for Paul to escape, what a story that would have been, right? So we're, we're all unsung heroes, hidden heroes, unsung compositions, and um, yeah. So it's just a simple little message. I hope it was an encouraged one encouragement to you because I think sometimes and I'm talking to me I I get um, I can be envious you know you see people and they're doing these things and the lights are on them and you're going wow I wish I was me and God says but it's not 
<laughs> so why don't you just... <laughs> it's true. I mean, I mean, don't you love how God talks to you? I mean, I hope he talks to you like that. But anyway, he says, but if you would just do this, guess what? These kids are going to go to school, and they're going to change the course of the history in the Philippines. I can do that. I'm happy to do that. So I'm not. I'm trying to figure out how to how to transition here. Oh, we do. We have help. <laughs> so it's good. Okay, we're going to go into it. I have some words that I feel for you guys. I'm not even going to make you stand. Should I? It's all right to stay. Okay. And it was, first of all, God is going to do some physical healing here. Like, like my hands were on fire during worship, and, and that's an indicator to me. God loves to heal anyway. It's like his favorite, one of his favorite things. And uh, so he's, he's going to bring healing, and we're going to have specific words. There, is, there was a word for diabetes, and I felt that again this morning, that not just for you, but there's others. I also had a word about gout. So God wants to touch some gout in people and somebody's struggling you're struggling with your eyes um, and I don't know if that's related to a diabetes or what but God wants to touch somebody's eyes and bring healing but I'm just going to go through these words and then we're going to ask the prayer teams or the e-group leaders are going to come up and we're just going to pray and if you need a healing in your body and the word doesn't come specific for that but you need a healing then you better not be shy because your Jesus wants to heal and so you can come up but there's somebody here well in fact I think um, Julian even almost said my word when you were praying God wants to bring fluency in the language of love he wants to love you in a fluent way and he wants you to receive that he wants it to flow in you because we stop his love because we know ourselves right we're very familiar with who we are and so we think he couldn't possibly love us the way we are and he's saying that's not how I roll that's not how I do it God has created us to trust whatever messes you're in today somebody's in a big mess and it's your doing right you made the mess and God says whatever messes you're in today it is incredible soil for growth and he's telling you, pay attention because I want to grow something here that represents him. So he's, he's willing to get you out of the mess, and, but it's, he, you got you to gotta take it. You know, you got to let him put the seeds in the soil. Um, somebody is, some, one of the men said they, they had a word about, uh, I think Ivan, you told someone God's not going to overlook you like your father did I, I think that was one of the men's words and God is saying you will never I, I off of that I felt like God said you will never escape my goodness and you will never escape my thoughts so somebody here is feeling very overlooked and God is saying no no that's your mind but that's not my mind and so these words are yours for the taking um he provides a time for change as part of the package. So somebody's in a season of change, and you know that, and you're freaked out by it because you don't know what the change is. God says, well, I do. <laughs> you might not, but I know. And that um, the, this time of change is going to last as long as it takes 
for you to make the adjustment to the change. So if you're holding back this change because you don't know, you need to move forward on it. And God is saying, yeah, if you'll, if you'll just lean into it a little bit, guess what? It's going to be very, very good for you. And then, sorry, I have to write them all down because I can't remember. Um, someone here, you keep pointing out your faults, and God is trying to point out your strengths. And you need to let, you need to receive it. You know, you know what you're doing wrong. And God is saying, but I know what you're doing right. And I want you to grab a hold of that. Um, God is wanting somebody to exercise patience in a situation. And he's saying, be patient as you wait. You need to understand the enemy can't be patient because that's a fruit of the spirit and he can't access that, right? He can't access the things of God. He only can do what's on this level, what you see here. And he's saying, if you will be patient, the enemy's gonna fall behind. Just be patient in what he's doing. So exercise that fruit of the spirit. So we're gonna go ahead and stand. If any of these words are for you, we, we, um, we do wanna pray for you or just acknowledge it. Uh, you know what, I have one more. I'm sorry. Let me just read this. Um, I kept I kept seeing walls. I don't know if you're in a room or if it's just a wall in front of you. And they're walls that for a lifetime have kept love outside for fear that it didn't belong inside with you. And the Lord um, is wanting to wrap you in grace. And as he wraps you in his grace, he's going to crumble your walls. And, you know, those walls keep out the living, breathing love that your heart was made for. And he wants you to intimately know him. There's no untouchable moment for God in your life. And he leans deep into those things that we shove into the farthest corners of our heart. And he gives us himself there. And so you need to lean deep into him. And, and I love, I think it was, one again, one of the testimonies of the men where they said, I thought I had forgiven all of this, and I had to go deep to that farthest place. And God said, and I'm there. I'm there. And so he wants to, uh, he wants to bring love that you feel like needs to be on the outside, and he says it needs to be on the inside. So we're going to go ahead and invite you to just come forward so we can pray for you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.